Good morning, 11 o'clock. How are we doing? Very well. Well, we started three weeks ago, we started a series on the soul, uh, simply called the Soul Series, and our very own Dr. Jimmy Stewart started it for us as we looked at the soul and depression. We were anchored in Psalm 42, why are you so downcast, O my soul? And this last week, I came back from vacation and preached on Matthew 16, 26, where we looked at the soul and meaning. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? What does a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus asked the penetrating uh, compound question, the soul and meaning. And today, we're going to look at the soul and rest. You've already heard us tip our hand on that. And the passage comes from Matthew chapter 11, famous passage if you've hung out in church world for long. In the Greek, this come to me is um, it's an imperative, meaning that it's a command. It's not a soft little invitation uh, that's optional for us, but it's a command uh, that he's serious about. And I, I would hope and pray that we could be serious about it um, as well. But, but we'll leave it up. But we're contrasting the soul from the rest of you. Now, we live in a world that's very material. I'm a child of the 80s. I can hear Madonna singing right now. But we're living in this material world, right? And often, I, I sometimes incorporate this in funerals uh, that I do. But, you know, we live in such a way in this material world that we think, hey, I'm a body and I might have a soul. But the truth is, you are a soul and you have a body. How's your body, by the way? Is it a wonderland like John Mayer sings about? Hey, here's the thing. Just starting off with some good news. The body, this is the best case scenario. At the age of about 28, I think I have some uh, doctors and scientists, folks can back me up on this, but the best case scenario for your life body-wise is about the age of 28. It's just a slow, very slow, subtle, uh, downward descending flight. Okay, you can tan it and tone it and trim it. You can fight the fat, master the midsection, lose the lard. You can Botox it and uh, you know cleanse it. You can eat broccoli and cauliflower even. But that's, it, it's an earthly, fleshly tent that ain't getting any prettier or younger. It's actually the other way. So, Paul would say, the outward man is wasting away, but the inward man, that's the soul, it's being renewed day by day. It can be renewed day by day. You have a body, you are a soul, the soul is you. It's the deep part of you, it's the integrated you, it's the eternal you. Now the passage. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find for your. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Confession. A few years ago, Fondra Church almost killed me. Year one, and I say this, that a church plant is somewhere, it's like a cross between a Silicon Valley startup and D-Day. Suffice it to say, it just takes a lot. And year one was exhausting, but exhilarating. Year two was exhausting, but good. Year three was exhausting. And year four, I almost died. Had you ever been at a campfire and like it's roar, the fire's roaring and you're with friends, family, and you're laughing and you're like maybe singing songs and everything is good. And then you fall asleep or just hours later, no one tends to it. And you look over and there's just a little flame, just an ember and a little ember and a whole lot of smoke. And that was the inside of me, just a little flame and a whole lot of smoke. And here's the thing, hear this because it's subtle. It's very nuanced. I loved my job. 
I love my job because I'm a people person. Do you know that? And I love people and this job is people intensive. And so to love you and to care for you and to learn of your needs and to feel the weight of things that you were going through, uh, it was tremendous for me. And I love my job. I love that part of the pastoring part. I love the preaching part. It challenges the extrovert in me, but to, to, to seek solace and to study and to prepare and the craft of preaching and the hopeful for the response and the impact that it can make because it is the word of God and is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart and I love my job but it just about killed me and this is important for us to understand today don't miss this there's several types of fatigue but I want you to know the difference between soul fatigue and body fatigue because soul fatigue is harder to detect one more time soul fatigue very real is harder to detect if you run a marathon you know when it's time to quit and what do you do you quit at the finish line hopefully when you're mowing the lawn which i don't recommend you refresh yourself right there's a hammock in a shade with country time lemonade like you get the physical limitations and you seek the solace you seek refreshment when you've done something physically hard we understand physical fatigue Talked to a lot of college students of last Sunday, prayed over some of them at their request, some medical students as well. But college students, are, are in large part, they're gone, but they went through exams. And I heard some of them say, man, the finals just baked my brain. Look, you can, uh, you can work out. We have some CrossFitters in our church family. You can work out, a really hard workout, and your muscles can ache and you can be drenched in sweat. Those are physical things. But listen. You can go to the funeral of a father of a best friend. and You can ache and hurt with them, and that's a different kind of fatigue. That is different. You see, there's different environments, and there's different um, things that drain us and energize us. And understanding that is important to understanding this message today, because I don't want it to get fuzzy. I don't want it to fall on deaf ears. I want you to grasp it and grapple with it appropriately today. But there's a difference between physical fatigue and soul fatigue. Y'all nod your head and I'll go on to the next point and we'll be happy. Uh, Dallas Willard, one of my favorite writers. Anybody know of Dallas Willard? I cannot highly recommend him enough. Thank you very much. A Read Divine Conspiracy, uh, chapter three changed my life. Uh, um, we lost Dallas a couple of years ago, philosophy professor at USC in Los Angeles. Uh, great thinker and uh, some uh, label him a mystic, um, but he is uh, brilliant in his writing. And he contrasts, uh, looking at the life of Jesus, he contrasts the difference. I love to see some of you take notes. You can even pull your phone up and take a picture and put it back down and pay attention to the rest of the sermon. But here's what Dallas Willard says. Looking at the life of Jesus, he makes a contrast that I don't want you to miss today. It's the difference between being busy and being hurried. Who's busy? Anybody living a busy life today? Listen, I want to tell you today that that's not a sin. Hurried is eating away at your soul and you won't have peace. You won't have soul rest if you are hurried. Okay? So here's the contrast from my guy Dallas Willard. Busy is a full schedule. Anybody got that? You can honor the Lord in a full schedule. But hurried is preoccupied. Busy is many activities. Hurried is unable to be fully present. Busy is an outward condition, but hurried is an inner condition of the soul. Busy is physically demanding. Hurried is spiritually draining. Busy reminds me that I need God, but hurried causes me to be unavailable to God. 
I did this in the early service at the 930. Um, preachers are paid to talk, but I want to just be silent for a second and let you look at that and give you a moment just to think. So let the condition fall where it may, the conviction. But the preoccupied, not fully present, spiritually drained condition, the one who's unavailable to God is grievous to him. And it's chiseling away at hearts and homes and marriages and parenting relationships. How many of you wish, you, could, you just look back and you just wish you had a parent who was present? Even when they were with you, they weren't with you. And can I just speak against the hurried soul? Can I just say in love to the church today, we can do better. And we're called to practice the way of Jesus. So I want to, I want to submit to you a couple things as we look at Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, as we studied a bit in, our, um, in the balance of our time. I want us to look at this. I want us to look at rest, okay? Spiritual soul rest in... Two ways. Rest as a day, and then rest as a person. So rest as a day, I want us to pull back and get the, the creation, if you will, the panoramic of it all, the bigger context. That's rest as a day called the Sabbath. And then rest as a person. This is straight back to Matthew 11 where we see what Jesus was teaching in this great passage. It's rest as a person, which is the ultimate rest. Now, some of you are already thinking, you've got your theological grid out, and you're thinking, well, you know, Jesus came and fulfilled the law, Matthew 5.20. He didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. So there's the, you know, the Torah and the law and the civil ceremonial laws, and we don't have to worry about that anymore. So we don't need a Sabbath. And can I say to you, that is wrong. Now, Jesus ultimately is the Sabbath. But here's the thing. The Sabbath was given to man, to woman, to us, to humans, before the fall, before sin entered in and fractured us. God gave us the Sabbath. In other words, it's the Creator saying, let me tell you, I created you. Let me tell you how I made you. And you should do it my way. And when you try to violate God's way, you'll pay. You'll pay. You will reap the consequences of this. And so I want you for a moment to think of rest as what? As a day. Okay, yeah, we're not participate very well. Rest is a day. So in this, rest as a Sabbath. So we'll look at uh, this. A Sabbath rest is the following. It's an act of alignment with God. Okay? Kind of already touched on that. God said it. Let's do it. Let's have a day where we rest. You need a day where you rest. But it's also, and this is harder for us, and what I want to preach to you today, okay? It's an act of resistance to the world. Romans 12, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Do not be conformed to the world, the late Eugene Peterson in the message says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And I can't help but think that that's happening to a lot of us. And we think that what God said doesn't apply to us. We tend to live like the Energizer Bunny. We can keep going and going and going. But you're not that way. You're not the Energizer Bunny. You're more like a Greek's archery bow where if you keep it bent all the time, it will break. And so this Sabbath day is an act of alignment with God. Let's go back to the creation story in Genesis. It says the following. Then God blessed the seventh day. Isn't that odd that God would bless a day? And he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. I did this at the 930, but if you're sitting next to someone, turn to them and 
tell them why you think God rested. Why did God rest? Do that real quick. Any ideas? Some of you just want to say, oh, I don't know. That's okay. We're here to learn. Well, I'm, just, I'm not going to answer the question. I'm just going to leave it up in the air, I think. But anyway. Um, so I want to take, I'm going to drill down on two words in this creation story, okay? The first one is blessed, and the second one is holy. Now, those are kind of weird words. Do y'all ever use those words? Like, everybody wants to be blessed, right? If you want to be blessed, just kind of raise your hand and show them. You want to be blessed. Now, how many of you want to be holy? All right, me and three people on the sixth row. Okay, I see, I see a hand. All right, we got some holy. How many of you want to roll down the aisle since you're so holy, right? This is a word that's kind of weird for us, but let's go back because we're, we're in Genesis, and so we're in the language of the Hebrews, and blessed is the word uh, Barak. That's how you say it, just like the president that we had for so many years. So in this passage, God Baraks three times. He baraks or he blesses. The first blessing that he, first thing that he does in the baraking or the blessing is he blesses the living creatures. Our translation, the animal kingdom. And in that, he, as he blesses them, he says that they should be fruitful, they should increase, and they should fill the earth. Y'all know this story? And then God blesses the humans, women and men. And what's the blessing, the barak there? He blesses and he says, fill the earth, be fruitful increase and fill the earth it's the same blessing that he gives and then strangely he says uh, that he blesses or baraks a day so think about that like god blesses a day now we're a people uh, we bless um, other people um, some of us bless animals i'm not making fun but you can go to a church in downtown jackson where they they do uh, they bless your pets, which I think is great if you bring a dog, not great if you bring a cat. I don't think God's in that. But anyway, uh, God blesses the, the human beings and the living creatures, but he blesses a day. And here's what I've learned about humanity, just throwing this in here real quick, is we like to bless spaces or we, we you know, create special places. We say that there's a spring or a statue or a monument or a temple or a top of a mountain, and this place is holy. It's been blessed by God. That's kind of in us. But think about it. Have you ever thought about it? God blessed a day. And let's align ourselves. Let's align ourselves with that day. And he says, keep it holy. What does that mean? I was joking a minute ago that five of us in the room want to be holy, but to be holy is to be special, it's to be set apart, it's to live righteously, it's to have something really, really good. And when you have something really, really good, what do you do? You guard it, you watch over it like a flower, a delicate flower on a New York City subway. You protect it because it's something really special, it's guarded. And that's what God is saying to you and I, that we need to have a day we need to have a day, and because it's blessed by Him and it's holy, that you, we would guard that day. The question is, do we? Or do we think that we're exempt? Do we think we don't need it? Do we think we're the energizer buddy, and we can keep going and going and going? And so what I want to do this morning is give you, uh, I know this is why you came to church, I want to give you some do's and don'ts. Isn't that why you came to church? Like, you like a preacher that'll stand up here and point his finger and say, do this and don't do that. Now, hear me now. I want this not to be rules so much. I don't want it to seem like it's rigid or suffocating to you. I want it to be pliable, okay? 
I want it to, to be lenient and I want it to be um, empowering to you. Because we, um, we're off, we're off kilter, we're out of whack in the modern world. And you hear me say this often, science, medicine, technology, everything's getting better. Everything's getting better. Progress, progress, progress. But mental health and emotional health and spiritual well-being, it's not getting any worse. It's getting, I'm not getting any better. It's getting way worse. Now, I'm not, I won't do it now, but I could drop stats. And you know that I could. But we're not doing well in this area. And so, just some do's and some don'ts. We think of spiritual practices as a duty, an obligation that limits us. And the response is... One more thing to do. Because look, I know. I'm a husband and father and pastor. I'm not looking for one more thing to do. Is anybody looking for one more thing to do? Like this isn't an obligation that's another duty for you. It is a practice given by God to connect you to his energy and life and joy. Okay, I'm in now. Dues of the Sabbath, okay? Sleep in. Rest. Study the scriptures, pray, eat, enjoy nature, spend time with family and friends. One more time, the dues of a Sabbath day, a restful day that would honor God, sleep in, guilt-free. Rest, study the scriptures, pray, eat, eat well. Enjoy nature. Spend time with family and friends. When it comes to nature, let me say this. I know I'm running the risk of getting laughed at. But do something in nature that's slow. Those of you who are into fitness, you have a hard time taking one day off a week. I think the body needs a day off every week. I'm just guessing a little bit. I've read some articles and stuff. But, um, of course, y'all know I was on the cover of Men's Fitness, Health Fitness Magazine years ago. But anyway... um, the body needs a day off, and I would encourage you to sync up your body and your soul. So when you have a Sabbath, when, you're, when you honor the Sabbath, use your body as well to rest. And so when you get outdoors and enjoy activities in nature, choose slow activities. Uh, for me, um, years ago, it was a short season, but in San Diego, it was surfing. In the reservoir, it was kayaking. Now, a lot of you hear me say this often, it's, it's trespassing with my golden retriever. And I take him out and play and listen to me. Sometimes when the sun is beating on his beautiful red fur and I'm watching him, I wonder what it's like. I wonder what it's like to know that you have a master. To know that you have someone watching over you who cares for you, who's providing for you, and who takes joy in your joy. Who revels in someone's giving gifts. Now, when that dog is running and playing, where does he want to be? Any guesses? He wants to be right there. And where do I want to be? A hundred different places sometimes. But I slow. For some of you, it's gardening or bird watching or whatever, but you need something slow in nature and breathe and take it in. Look, I talked to a guy this week. He's not doing well. Jimmy, he needs an appointment with you. But he's battling with depression. Just spoke with him yesterday. And he doesn't exercise at all. He rarely gets outdoors. He eats mostly fast food and he sleeps with his bed, with his phone right by his bedside. That's a bad prescription on so many levels. So here's the do's. Saying it again, sleep in guilt-free, relax, make no apologies about the rest. Pray and study the scriptures. Eat and enjoy nature and spend time with family and friends. Here's the don'ts. You ready? Preachers love don'ts. Don't buy or sell or open email. 
Don't post on social media. Take it a step further, don't even look at social media. Don't even look at a website or a magazine or anything that makes you want more. Because a Sabbath is not about getting more, it's about enjoying what you have. And oh, do we honor God in worship. When we can sit at a place and be in a place and be content in that place. And y'all, it's like a rare jewel or spice, like it's so rare. But we're talking about peace of mind. We're talking about something deep and abiding and real. So don't buy or sell. Don't open email. Don't post on social media. And take time away where you're not wanting more. And enjoy, savor, and relish what God has given you in that moment. And so this is Sabbath as a day of rest. It's an act of aligning with God, but it's also an act of resistance. An act of resistance to the world that wants to squeeze you and conform you into the image of the world. And so resist it. I'm speaking to the young people, like they're militant, like, yeah, resist it. Like, but seriously, resist the world. Be willing to be different. And so to resist it on a Sabbath is to take this day of rest and say, I don't have to get the promotion. I don't have to get the pay raise. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to have everybody like me. I don't have to get everything that I want. I don't have to have my kids in every recital and practice and band thing every day of the year. I don't have to do any of that. And I will be a resistor. So rest is a day. Rest is a day. It's called the Sabbath. And can I say that you need it? It's an act of alignment with God, and it's an act of resistance to the world. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about these spiritual practices, the Sabbath in particular. It is, rest is something that we do. Now think about that, because I think I just said something profound, and you might have missed it. Rest is something that we do, and most of us think, well, rest is some mystical state we enter into. Some comatose state that we hope to achieve. Usually aided by a prescription. But rest is something that we do. Hebrews says this, make every effort to enter his rest. Isn't that funny? Make every effort to enter into the rest. People, particularly women, when it's Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter and you've got guests coming over, you get ready for that day, don't you? You don't just wake up and go, oh, it's Thanksgiving. Like, you know who's coming, who's not coming, who's invited, who's uninvited, right? You know what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what time this is going to be, what time you're going to lay on the couch inflated with carbohydrates watching the Detroit Lions play. Like, you know what's going to happen that day, but you prepare yourself for it. You, you get ready for it. When we were in Jerusalem last year, we noticed people scurrying about one day. And our guide, our history professor at Hebrew University in Jerusalem reminded us, hey, it's about to be the Sabbath. That's why everybody's running. They're running to get home to prepare themselves to rest. You will have to work hard to rest. You'll have to get ready for it and then resist. But rest is something that we do. And listen, rest is, it's, it's, it's a skill that you honed. Let me speak grace for a moment if I'm losing you. It's a skill that you hone. You have to practice. Just like surfing and cooking and learning the violin, nobody does it well the first time. It, just, it takes some practice. So what spiritual practices do you have that can connect you with God's life, joy, and energy? The second thing is this. It's rest as a person. 
And this is rest as a Savior. The one who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You've been laboring, and I want to give you rest. It's rest as a person. It's the one who came to not abolish the Sabbath, but to fulfill it, and for us to find our rest in Him. But here was the problem with this rest. The people thought they needed to earn God's favor. They thought they could earn God's favor. The people were on, like a hamster on a wheel of religious production, thinking thinking that they had to um, achieve something. But you know the gospel? Here it is. The gospel is not about anything you achieve. It's about what you receive. And that's what we can learn as we find our rest in Christ. That's the invitation that he gives us. But they, two things about the people in the context of Matthew 11, uh, they missed it and they overcomplicated it. Quickly, let's look at both. They, they missed it. Look at Matthew 11. But to what shall I compare this generation? It, it is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and did, you did not dance. And we sang a dirge and you did not mourn. In those days in particular, when there were weddings or festivals, a flute or pipe would play and people would dance. And when there was a funeral or something somber, a dirge would be sung and you would know to mourn. You had a cue to dance and a cue to mourn. And these people were very religious. They were synagogue attending scripture knowing people, but they missed it. They missed it. They didn't have a proper response to what was happening. And by the way, that's what the gospel message is. That's what brings help, healing, soul rest, is responding rightly to the gospel that you are loved. But they missed it. They also overcomplicated it. Matthew 11, Jesus did what he did. I love this. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you revealed them to little children. He's saying to them, and we see this in the context, that so many people knew the Torah, knew the law. They debated its nuances. They talked about it. It was an academic approach to life, but they missed it. But the children and the sinners and the prostitutes and the downcast and the lowly and the left out, those were the ones that were beginning to embrace the message of Jesus because they got it that the gospel is counterintuitive. It's not your effort. It's not your effort. It's responding appropriately to what has been done. And this is what we see in the person of Jesus. Go back a minute as we consider both rest as a day and rest as a person, the Sabbath and our Savior. Uh, years ago when my oldest son, who's like 6'2 and handsome and a sophomore in college, when he was a little guy, uh, we were learning about being a parent and being parents and we were learning how um, joyful and complicated it can be, particularly with travel. And I remember we were at an airport and I was just thinking, man, how, I mean, it's just amazing the amount of supplies you need to raise a modern baby. I mean, you need to bring a baby bed and a baby chair, and you need to bring a playpen and a, what, one of those things we call them a neglect a wheel that you put them in and walk out of the room. You need to bring so many things. You need to bring a car seat, and you need to bring the, you need to bring stuffed toys and animals, a Shamu, a Lammy Lamb, a Bob the Builder. Uh, you, you, you need to bring all these things, things designed to... Um, encourage cognitive ability, develop motor skills, motivate the imagination, stimulate the senses, uh, encourage social and uh, develop, emotional development, all of which are overrated. 
And I remember looking at my wife at one point going, man, how much do we need? And in that moment, I'm telling you, that question is a question that the soul asks. How much do we need? Do we need all of this? And y'all, there's so much at stake in us asking that question at a soul level and then getting it right. How much do we need? We live in a world that says you need all that. I'm not so sure we do. What we need is to know that a father loves us. And Jesus, with the people that missed it and overcomplicated it, can I just lean on you for a second and say, are you missing it? Are you overcomplicating it? Because it's simple. It's simple that you're broken and flawed and sinful and separated and you need a Savior and you have to come to Him. You're not worried about your dignity. You're not worried about protocol. You're just broken and you come to Him and say, you love me and I receive this gift. That's this gospel message. When my youngest was, um, there was something that we needed to check on and he was at the doctor. And I went with him and it required a blood test. And I, uh, you can see me doing this. I, I broke protocol with the nurse that day. I said, hey, uh, I know this is against the norm, but could you, uh, could you draw my blood first? And sh- so he can see that it's going to be okay because he was scared. And she obliged. She uh, found that vein and uh, rubbed that stuff on it. I'm using technical medical terms. She rubbed that stuff right there and she stabbed me and drew blood. Stuck it in there. She didn't stab me, but she stuck it in there gently. And um, she drew blood. And my little guy, who was, went in so fearful, he, he surveyed the scene. He saw his father. I remember him whispering, I think I can do this. And then she took his arm, much smaller than mine, and found that little vein, much smaller than mine. And, that stuff on it, stuck that needle in it, drew that blood. And he said, Dad, I did it. The invitation of Jesus is threefold. Come, take, learn. And by the way, if you're here today and you think this is a float down the lazy river, that you don't need to work hard. Let me just shatter that because Jesus says, come weary, wilted, worn out people. And what does he say next? He says, take my yoke upon you and yoke. In an agricultural economy, it was a contraption that farmers used to put on oxen, right, to what to do work. Yoke, taking yoke is work. Yoke is work. How strange. If Jesus would have said, come to me, weary, wilted, worn out people and take a break or take a nap or take a vacation, I'd be like, all right, I like where this is going. I like this Jesus guy. But he says, take my yoke in other words you're going to work but it's not going to be you're not going to be an independent contractor you're going to work in tandem with me this is not a sermon about being lazy don't miss that today in fact colossians 1 says man i poured out my life we agonized to admonish every person to be complete in christ we worked hard but we did it in tandem planted and watered and God is the one that caused the growth. God is the one that we partner with and he says to learn. And That means like a child looking at his father. He watches. He's at his feet. He's afraid. He doesn't know the future. He doesn't know if he can do this. 
he watches the one that's bigger than him and he watches and learns and imitates and can I say that's where the freedom is the freedom is in doing what the father said learning from him and seeing it become a part of your life so would you stand today bow today the team is coming and they're going to lead us in song in a moment just as we did at the 930 I want today I want to today I want to open this front up as an altar for you to kneel today just to say God I want to find my rest in you I want to work in tandem with you learn from you. I want to imitate you. It could be something that's um, got the best of you. Or it could actually be joy in Him. Just gratitude. Just thanking Him for the work He's doing in your life. But let's let this altar be open. Father, thank you for giving us rest that's in a day, but ultimately in a person. Lord, for the depleted people, for the embers around the campfire where it's just one little flame and a lot of smoke and we're dying inside. God, I want your word to speak life today. That not only would we be people of perseverance, but we wouldn't be quitters. And God, I know, just like me a few years ago when it got hard, you want to just stop. God, I pray for anybody in here today that's wanting to quit on a relationship, a marriage, that's afraid of taking the needle of going through pain. And Lord, this teaching that your burden is light, that your yoke is easy, it's not a circumstance word, it's a soul word. You're not promising us easy, easy circumstances always. But you're promising us a soul that can be well and it can be at peace. And so let that gift become more a part of us. Lord, help us to practice the way of Jesus, who was busy, 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 but who was not hurried. He went to the temple as was his custom to worship knee was bended and he, he worshiped and he enjoyed laughter and time with friends and he had spiritual practices that weren't obligations or drains or duties but it tapped into the flow of energy and love and Lord we need that so we are yours now this time these few minutes are yours you come today if we can pray for you if you want to kneel let's all sing